Philippians chapter 3. These two dogs are making their YouTube debut this morning um, after working for Marvel Studios for the past three or four months. Only people who go to Portadown College will have any idea what that means. Anyway, Philippians chapter 3. What we've had so far in Philippians is that that Paul in chapter 1 has spoken of his affection for them and how he prays for them. Uh, He has spoken about his own circumstances and how every single thing is focused on Jesus. All of his thinking centered on Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then gets into chapter 2 and he starts to talk about their situation and again holds up the example of Jesus. And particularly Jesus on the cross as the mindset that they are to have as they relate to one another. And the second half of chapter 2, he puts forth Timothy and Epaphroditus as further examples of how they are to live. And chapter 3 starts off with the word, finally. That's a bit mischievous, isn't it? You know, you put finally in the middle of the letter and not at the end of it. You give people hope that the sermon's going to end soon, but it's not. Uh, What he means there, what that Greek word actually means is one more thing or one last thing rather than I'm about to finish. That's why finally appears in the middle of it. But I'm going to read Philippians 3, 1 to 11. And then I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 9, which is in the background in this passage. So Philippians 3, 1 to 11. Just so you know, those wee noises in the background are brilliant. Don't worry about them. It's nice and it's, it's all good. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
jump back to Jeremiah 9 just to hang this few verses in the background. Because you understand Paul a lot more when you see what he's alluding to. And there's other passages in the, in the Old Testament that he's leaning into in Philippians here. But we will just read Jeremiah 9 at the end of the chapter. Remember, Paul has talked about boasting and where we put our confidence and about knowing Jesus. Now listen to Jeremiah. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Verse 25. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. And verse 26 at the end of the verse. Even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. So, a lot of verses there just to, to, to set the scene. Paul starts off by saying in verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord. We will pick that up when we get to chapter 4, where he picks it up again. He says, Beware of the dogs. Now, don't you be thinking, you know, cute little, where are they? Look at that there. Don't be thinking about cute little doggies, wee pets, that you want to you know, give them a snuggle and a stroke and, and take them for walks and all that. That is not what Paul is talking about. Because in Paul's world, dogs were street vermin. They carried disease. They basically ate roadkill. If roadkill existed in the days of you know, people walking about in sandals and stuff, they scavenged at scraps. They carried disease. They were unwanted, completely unwanted. If a stray dog was in the street, you would not go over to it. You would not pet it. You would go the other way. They were dangerous, unpleasant, unwanted animals. And Paul is saying that we are to beware of the dogs. Watch out for the dogs. Who is he talking about? Who is the scavenger? Who is the vermin? (laughs) Who is the unwanted person or people that Paul is talking about here? You'll get an insight into this in Galatians as well. Because one of the things that Paul faced everywhere he went when he planted a church, Jewish Christians would follow him there. And Paul was a Jewish Christian, obviously. But Jewish Christians would follow Paul into the churches that he planted and try to influence the people there that they had to keep the law of Moses if they were going to be part of the people of God. And what that mainly involved, or the most obvious sign of that, was circumcision. That the men had to be circumcised if they were going to be God's people. And Paul's word for those men, those Jewish followers of Jesus, or so-called followers of Jesus, who were bringing this message into the churches, he said, they're dogs. They're scavengers. They are taking advantage of you. As soon as I leave, they come in and try to influence you with this stuff. They are described as mutilators of the flesh. That again is a is a, a, a hint or an allusion towards circumcision. Might have a photograph here. No, I don't. Um, it's, a, it's an allusion towards circumcision. But Paul says they are actually cutting themselves like pagans. 
You know the guys in 1 Kings, the prophets of Baal, who are trying to get the fire to fall on the altar and they start cutting themselves? And there still would be cults and pagan practices that would involve that. Paul says that's what these guys are like. They're coming in, trying to influence you, and they are just mutilators of the flesh. He then says, we are the circumcision. Now, he's talking to Gentiles as well as Jews. He's talking to women as well as men. He says, ladies, we are the circumcision. Gentiles, we are the circumcision. And what he means is that no longer is circumcision an outward external thing. It's now to do with the heart. He mentions it in Jeremiah 9 at the end there about Israel being uncircumcised in heart. He mentions it in, or Jeremiah mentions it, Paul mentions it in Romans and says that at the end of that passage in chapter 2, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. You are a member of the people of God because of what happens inwardly in your heart, not what happens externally. You do not curry favor with God by external things. The heart has to be changed. He's applying it to the heart. Religion is about external appearance. Following Jesus is about a transformed heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having put your faith in Jesus and receiving the grace that God has shown through him. There's a massive difference. So whenever I say religion, do not misunderstand and think tradition. Or think a different type of music or a different type of clothing in church or a different Bible translation. That is not what I mean by religion. Doing things culturally a wee bit differently, there's nothing wrong with that. Religion is whenever everything is external. And religion can happen in the most contemporary churches. It's not just something that you you relegate to this happens in old denominations. That is completely wrong. It can happen anywhere where our external behavior starts to be the thing that we use to try to impress God and put a show on for other people while our hearts within us are unchanged. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's an issue of the heart. Yeah? So religion can happen anywhere. You could have a bunch of young hipster people singing their lungs out at a worship event and it's religion because it's an external thing and there's maybe nothing in in the heart that authentically is being transformed by the Spirit. It can happen anywhere. It can happen to you and it can happen to me. Very easily you can lapse into, oh, well, I, you know, I planted a church or I I did some youth ministry or whatever. And very quickly you can start to convince yourself that you've got some stuff going for you that can get you some brownie points with God. That's religion. And it can happen to any of us. And Paul warns these people that being part of the people of God is about what has happened in your heart. And Paul 
boasts in Christ Jesus. And that word boast doesn't mean bragging. It's not like he walks about the street getting in people's faces and, and, and saying, oh, I know Jesus and you don't. It's not that. Boast means he puts his confidence in Jesus. He puts no confidence in the flesh, the external appearance. His confidence is all in Jesus. And he does not say as well, just so you know, because I think there's a lot of confusion about this. He does not say that, Paul, that God has taken Israel and just put them to one side or crumpled them up and chucked them in the bin and forgot about them and decided instead that he will work with a new people called the church. That is not biblical. God's people, Israel, has been expanded through Jesus so that what was once accessible only to those who were descendants of Abraham is now accessible to all who follow Jesus in faith. And no matter whether a person is a Jew or a Gentile, whether they're from Tandragee or America or Australia or wherever, the only way to the Father is through Jesus. There is no other way. Jews, nobody else, have an advantage. It is about whether or not a people are following Jesus. And God took Israel and expanded Israel to, to embrace and invite the whole world to become his people if they chose to follow Jesus and put their faith in him. Now, we've watched a bit of Marvel lately during lockdown to pass the time. Uh, in the evenings and I was thinking if Marvel wanted a super Jew if they needed a new character you know there are lots of Marvel characters out there like you know Iron Man and all those guys if they needed a new character called super Jew they would get Paul because Paul gives a list of all of the stuff that makes him the best Jew of all he is making the case that we should not put our confidence our trust in the externals in who we are in where we were born in what we have done, but we instead should put our trust in Christ. But Paul gives his, his, his own sort of CV or resume, as the Americans would say, in verses 5 and 6. He says, if anybody has the reason or the right to boast and to have confidence in themselves, he says, it's me. Look at this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the day to get circumcised. Not the seventh day, not the ninth day, not any other day. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm not a blow-in. I'm not a proselyte. I'm not converted to being an Israelite. I am an Israelite. And not only that, but I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. That's the tribe that Saul came from, the first king. Benjamin and Judah, the border of Benjamin and Judah, is where the Jerusalem temple sits and Paul says, that's my tribe. I'm not just any old Jew. I'm a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I've achieved the highest status that I could achieve as one studying the law. I have persecuted the church. You want to question me about my zeal and my passion for God? I used to persecute the church. That's how passionate I was. And what about my righteousness, keeping the law? He says he's faultless. Paul kept the law perfectly. You might think that's impossible. No, it doesn't. I didn't say that Paul never sinned. I said that he kept the law. In other words, he made all the right sacrifices. He went all the right feasts. He did everything that he should do. He kept the whole law. That's his super Jew status. 
that he could boast in if he wanted to boast in it. He could brag about it. He could put his confidence in it, but he chooses not to. And what he does in, in verses 5, 6, and then in verse 7, is he, has, he basically uses like an accounting illustration, like he's got his accounts book. And on the prophet side, originally he would have had all of those things. His birth and his tribe and his circumcision and his Pharisee status, all of those things, he previously would have said, these are profit for me. But then he has shifted them over and he says in verse 7, no, they're actually a loss. All of that stuff that I could put my trust in is a loss. And why is it now a loss? In verse 7, for the sake of Christ. He has met Jesus and all of the other things that gave him value, worth, prestige, whatever, all of the things that religiously he thought made him right with God. He has shifted all of those things from the prophet column and he's brought them over to the lost column. In fact, in verse 8, he says they are scubula. Now that's your Greek word for today, boys and girls. Are you ready? It's, it's, it's spelt like the first one, but you pronounce it scubula. You're going to say this after me. One, two, three. Scubula. Say it again. Scubula. Scubula. You just said a bad word in Greek. <laughs> Tricked you. Um, scubula. I'm going to, I've got a picture of scubula. Nigel, cover your eyes, mate. Okay, that was scubula. <laughs> just again, if you missed it. There we go. You, are you all right? Do you need a bucket or a wee bag or anything? No. <laughs> yes. Paul says, and I'm not stretching this, whenever this was read in Philippi, <laughs> do you want to sit beside the door, buddy? <laughs> no, I'm done, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Um, Whenever this was read in Philippi, you can guarantee there was a little ripple went through the church. Did he really say that? I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'm not sure how extreme the language was, but it was fairly crude. And Paul says, everything that I once thought was valuable to me, now that I've met Christ, he thinks of the most worthless thing, street filth. Back to the dogs from earlier on. He says, everything that I once thought was profit is not only loss, he says it's dung. Maybe stronger than that. But it's worthless. Compared, look at verse 8, compared with the surpassing worth. So he's taken something of that, that is just of such negligible worth, something that is so useless. He says, everything else I ever did is that compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We'll come back to that idea of knowing in a minute. But he says in verse 9, that the righteousness that he has is no longer his own. He hasn't earned this. 
Paul says that he has, he has no advantage over any human being on planet earth. Everything he now has is grace. God's grace being shown to him. Everything he now has is as a result of the grace of God that he has then put his faith in. But the initiative lies with God. Don't ever think that you earn anything by exercising faith. All faith is, is a response to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And that his righteousness, his right standing with God as a man now forgiven, as a man who doesn't have to keep the law because Jesus perfectly kept it and fulfilled it, all of that comes from God and not from Paul's own efforts or his status or his birth. Everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And being found in him. Paul uses this phrase over and over again. I was talking to a few guys here the other night. I don't like the word Christian. (laughs) It seems an awful thing to say, but I just don't like it. It is a word that I think has become very loosely applied. You'll hear a whole nation being described as a Christian nation. It's just, what does it mean? It's like asking someone, do you believe in God? And they'll say, I do believe in God. It doesn't mean very much. What I want to know is, and what Paul wants to know is, are you in Christ? That's the phrase he uses, in Christ. Jesus invites people not to be Christians, but to follow him. That's got so much more weight about it, so much more impact. I am a follower of Jesus. I am in Christ because of what he has done for me. Not just vaguely Christian because I'm filling in a form and that's the box to tick for my background or whatever. A follower of Jesus found in him. No longer wearing the badge of external outward appearance, but now wearing the badge of faith. And there is Paul's definition of Christianity. There's a phrase you'll sometimes hear kicked about in evangelical circles where, where somebody will, will, will lean over and whisper to you, do you know him? And it is a worthwhile question. Do you know Jesus? This is not knowledge about, this is intimate relationship with. And this is the thing that can so easily get lost in religious activity. Going to meetings, going to the prayer meeting, going to Sunday mornings, going to do youth work. And you can very easily be so active in church activity that you lose that personal intimacy of knowing Jesus. It can happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone. (laughs) In any context, in any denomination, right here, it can happen to anyone. That That there's just a gradual cooling of the heart that's almost imperceptible, unnoticeable, until all of a sudden you realize... I've lost the intimate knowledge of Jesus. 
because I've got so wrapped up in doing stuff or in busyness or in pursuing other things that I've lost that intimate knowledge of him. Being a Christian is about knowing Jesus intimately. Relationship, communication, worship. And the way to know him, Paul goes on to say, to know the power of his resurrection. And I'd love to stop there. Would anybody else like to stop there? I'd love to stop there. I'd love to sort of start stamping my feet and raising my hands and yelling and shouting, I know him and know the power of his resurrection. But Paul doesn't stop there. <laughs> Paul says to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Don't want that. <laughs> Nobody signed up for that. Nobody really embraces that instinctively. Becoming like him in his death. That's not three different things. That's one thing. That's what it means to know Jesus. That's the road or the way to knowing him. And you can't know the power of resurrection without the participation in suffering. Jesus could not be raised from the dead without first dying. And if we're going to embrace, fully embrace resurrection life, there will along with it be an element of suffering. I was talking to, to somebody the other night who likes to ask questions and the person is not here, by the way, just in case you think it's him, it's not. Um, I was talking to somebody the other night who likes to ask questions and he kept on just asking, you know, what if somebody just needs put down? What if, what if, what if they just have gotten your face for so long and they just need put in their box? It's wrong and they need to be put down. And I, my response to him was just, we follow one who was crucified. And if we choose to follow one who was crucified, we can expect that there are times when we will be suffering ourselves, being persecuted, being attacked, put down for what we believe and for who we follow. We've got to expect it. It's par for the course. You're not going to live in constant triumph. Maybe suffering, I, I always have this thing where by default when I hear the word suffering, I think physical pain. But maybe suffering, in fact, definitely suffering is a lot more than physical pain. Paul, whenever he lists his own hardships, his own sufferings, he will say things like, that he, he suffered or he was at risk, at danger of false brothers. He will say that he has daily concern for the churches and that causes him a lot of stress and suffering. He says about people who abandoned him, Demas abandoned him. Alexander did him much harm. Maybe a lot of suffering is, is not necessarily physical but it's maybe the mental and the emotional anguish that we can sometimes experience as we journey through life. But there will be suffering in the road to knowing Jesus and becoming like him. Paul has talked in this passage. If you look at chapter 3, verse 3, he says about glorying in Christ. 
boasting in Jesus, putting our trust in him. In verse 9, he talks about being found in him. In verse 10, I want to know Christ. I sometimes get a bit edgy among sort of churchy, in a churchy environment where I don't hear Jesus being talked about very much. I find that, that troubles me. (laughs) Where you'll hear a lot of theology and you'll hear a lot of activity, but you don't hear a lot of Jesus. Paul here talks about glorying in Jesus. That's what I want to do as we sing, as we worship, glorying in him. That's why, and here I go again, I, I read something from the Gospels every single day because I want to hear him and know him. That's why one of the most instinctive things that I will do with new believer or young believer is say, let's take a dander through a gospel and let's just look at Jesus. That's why we started going through Luke and we will pick up again in Luke later in the year and we will just gaze at Jesus week after week after week. We will glory in him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Do you know him? Knowing him, according to the passage, and I'm nearly finished, I, I can say the word finally and actually mean it. In, in Jeremiah 9 that we read at the start, Jeremiah talks about not boasting in wisdom or strength or riches. But in verse 24, he says, let the one who boasts boast about this, that he knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness. In other words, that he knows me and knows my character. The more we gaze at Jesus and see his character, the more it will be formed in us. Another question I got asked the other night was, what do I need to do? And my answer is is a case of gaze at Jesus, (laughs) And allow him to transform you. And you'll not have to worry about what you do. It'll become instinctive from a transformed heart by the power of the Spirit. It'll not be a case of, well, I need to stop doing that and start doing this. No, it'll be a case of overflow. Overflow from knowing him. It's very easy to put contemporary things in the, in the description like Paul, when Paul did his super Jew thing. Oh, sorry about that. Forgot about that. Uh, when Paul did his, he wasn't looking anyway. When Paul did his super Jew thing back in, the, in verses 5 and 6, it's very easy to fill in, I was born in a Christian home. It's very easy to fill in, I prayed the sinner's prayer at a young age. It's very easy to, to say, I went to Sunday school all my life. It's very easy to say, I've never done some of the things that the church is opposed to. Whether or not God's opposed to them never, doesn't seem to matter that much. But I've never done the things that the church was opposed to. I've ticked all the boxes. Really easy to do that. And you know what? If you do that, you're religious. Stop looking down your nose at people who sing older hymns and sit in wooden pews and thinking that they're religious. No, if, if this attitude creeps into your heart, you're religious. And Paul was just chased around the place by these Judaizers who were trying to put external requirements on the people of God 
Whereas Paul was saying, no, I want a transformed heart. I want you to know Jesus and I want you to worship him in the spirit. That's what I'm after. I think if Paul was coming around, there's all different metrics that are used to sort of evaluate churches. I think if Paul had planted this church and then moved on and planted others and was coming back a couple of years later, he would not be that interested in how many people there are or how much money's in the bank or what state the premises are in. He would want to know, do these people know Jesus? Do they know him intimately themselves? As the psalmist wrote, do they follow hard after him? My soul follows hard after God. It's not about doing, it's about pursuing. I am pursuing Jesus. Intimacy with him, knowledge with him. That would be Paul's metric. He would rather find a half a dozen people who are being transformed by the power of the Spirit to show the character of Jesus who are embracing suffering, who are experiencing the power of resurrection, he would rather see that than see two or three hundred people with with all the, the religious trappings and all the noise and whatever. He would cut through that in a moment and say, that's religion, shut it down. I want to know Jesus and I want you to know Jesus. Yeah? Amen. Let's uh, Let's glory in him for a half an hour or so boasting him with our with our singing come on ahead Aaron please